0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at infocitychurchnox.com. At With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you. Thank you, like Kent said, for braving the weather and the time change. Uh, it was it was rough at my house. So, and it was just me. I was the only one that was waking up, but it was rough. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, Alright, Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.18-19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility Comes before honor. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. So Proverbs 16, 5. All right. Well, my name's Eric. <laughs> if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. Uh, so the Bible speaks pretty strongly about pride, just in general. I think uh, these, these verses lay out some of the warnings pretty plainly, but also through scripture in general. Uh, It it speaks pretty strongly about it. It is not some small, insignificant thing. Uh, It is actually a a huge deal and a a really big threat spiritually. Um, In fact, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, does does anyone know the first time that we are introduced to the concept of pride in the Bible? Genesis 3. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Genesis is the first book. And 3 is the third chapter, right? It's very early. So in Genesis 3, this is when sin first enters the world. And we see pride put on display through, through the way that uh, the devil interacts with the first uh, man and woman that we see in the, in the creation narrative. So the devil tells them, uh, basically, like, hey, God doesn't really have your best interest in mind, probably, right? And then he, he goes on to convince them that they'd probably just be better off if they just took matters into their own hands, Right? He tells them, hey, you should be a little more self-sufficient out here. You, sh- you should be the ones calling the shots. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, probably. Uh, and so they roll with it, right? And that's pride. That's where it enters the picture. So it, it's safe to say, I think, uh, pride is a very big deal just across the board, which I think raises a very important question, uh, which is what is pride exactly? So put most simply... I would say that that pride is an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-promotion. Self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-promotion. So it's a sense of being uh, being in control or being the the only one that needs to have any say in your life. Pride uh, says that you are the center of things. You are distinguished as the focal point. Right? That's the kind of pride that we're talking about today. I think it's important to to also note what we are not talking about today. Um, we're not talking about what I would call good pride. Okay, so good pride is something of like uh, so, something that's warranted. It's the idea of like a father saying to his son, "I am proud of you." Right? Or, or someone who did a really good job on a project at work or at school. They worked hard. They used their gifts. They used their abilities to produce something wonderful. And they're proud of their work. They're proud of what they've done. That's not what we're talking about. Paul consistently tells churches in his letters throughout the New Testament that he is proud of them. Right? Second Corinthians 7.4, Paul says, I have taken great pride in you. 2 Thessalonians 1.4, he says to the church there, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Right? Being prideful is not the same thing as being proud of something when it is warranted. Right? It, would, it would certainly be odd, I think, for Paul to regularly brag about having something that's explicitly sinful. Right? That, that doesn't seem like it makes much sense. So giving a, giving a teaching on pride uh, is very interesting to me or very interesting in my, uh, in my mind. It may be after, after Kent's teaching a few weeks ago, it might be my cynicism talking. Um, but teaching about pride feels like a bit of a conundrum to me uh, because if you, if you really think about it, the people who most need to hear a teaching about pride are also the same people who are least likely to hear it. Right? That the nature of pride is that it is blinding. It is blinding for us. So the most prideful people are not walking around thinking, this is a huge problem in my life. Right? They're not doing that. They're probably walking around thinking, other people have huge problems. (laughs) Right? I, I know in a lot of sermons, and this may not apply to you, but it definitely applies to me, we tend to think things like, oh, I just really wish that person was here to here to hear that one. Right? But at least for today, uh, for this sermon specifically, I ask that you please just consider that you might be the one that needs to hear it. Just consider it, okay? I, I ask that we just at least try to adopt Paul's posture in 1 Timothy when he says that he is the worst of all sinners. Just consider it. Or bare minimum, maybe just roll with me in admitting that, that if you were to struggle with pride... Uh, you would probably be quick to dismiss someone calling it out. Maybe just roll with that idea. So go ahead, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Luke 18. We're going to end up there in just a second. Um, and as a disclaimer, we usually teach out of the NIV, but today uh, I felt like the ESV translation more, more accurately translated uh, the, the text and more effectively communicated the idea today. So we're going to be in the ESV today. Um, and I'm going to dig more into the nuances in a little bit of, of pride, like I said, but I want to say I regularly struggle with pride. I do. And I have as long as I can remember, um, to which most people in the room, I assume would probably not be like wildly offended, uh, or taken aback or, or shocked to hear someone say, uh, the response is probably something like, okay, cool. Me too sometimes, I guess. Now, if I were to get up here in front of you today and say, uh, throughout my life, I have consistently struggled with theft and witchcraft and orgies. It's a different response, right? <laughs> that's not the same response that, that, you're, that you're gonna get. And I, I think that's because we have decided that some sins are a big deal, right? And also we've decided that others, not so much. We tend to downplay the ones that, that we either find more acceptable socially or maybe the ones that we would just really prefer to keep living in, right, instead of pursuing repentance. And that's where things get really dangerous with pride, especially because we live in a time and in a culture that runs on pride so much of the time, right? Believe in yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Uh, You are the master of your fate. You control your destiny. You deserve it, right? Do what makes you happy. Live your truth. All of those thoughts elevate self above everything else, right? Above everything else. It's all about you. It should be all about you, right? And if you're not thinking about yourself above everything else, you probably just hate yourself, right? Don't be so down on yourself. We're not only okay with pride most of the time, we actually expect it a lot of the time. We encourage it a lot of the time. And it gets really, really tricky because it's also so hard to spot sometimes. So hard to spot, because often the underlying cause beneath so many other things we experience in our lives is pride. That's what's underneath a lot of the things that we struggle with, but, but we don't see the pride itself a lot of the time. So I, I think it's helpful to compare it to something like wind, the idea of wind. So last week, uh, we had some incredibly windy nights here in Knoxville. I don't know if you remember, uh, there was... Potential tornadoes, tornado watch, There's 60-mile-per-hour gusts forecasted, all this stuff, lots of wind. Um, I was not awake, uh, but I knew that it had been windy. I knew it, right? Uh, My my chairs by my fire pit were, were blown over on their side, right? There were branches all throughout the yard. There were leaves all over the patio I had just cleaned off. Even if I hadn't seen the forecast, I would have known that it had been super windy that night. Right? I would have known. It's obvious. All the signs are there. The signs and the effects of it being windy are universally recognized, right? Pride is pretty similar, honestly. We we can't directly see the wind sometimes, but we always can see its effects. And, And pride is similar because it's often difficult to see on its own, but you can definitely see some of the effects. And some of the symptoms. So I want to spend some time today unpacking a few ways for us to spot pride in our lives. uh, By going through some of the more noticeable symptoms from our passage in Luke. And then I want to look to scripture about about what it says to do about those things. Um, So in his ministry, uh, in in this part of of Luke, uh, up until this point, Jesus uh, spent a decent amount of time confronting people who were pretty consumed with pride. He, he did that a lot. They were not huge fans of what Jesus had to say. Um, and it's worth mentioning, I think, in the Bible, just as a whole, the idea of pride is, is often very closely related to or is, is referenced in relation to self-righteousness. Um, they are not the same word, but the amount of overlap is pretty significant. And in, in fact, I would say that you probably can't have one without the other. Um, so the, the Bible references self-righteousness a lot in in the way that it talks about pride. So with that in mind, let's read our passage. I'm going to go through it again, and we're going to use it to identify a handful of common symptoms of pride. So starting in verse 9 in chapter 18, it says, He, this is Jesus, "Uh, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, so let me just start by saying how much I love the book of Luke. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time in Matthew over the last few years or a couple of years. I honestly don't know how long it's been. Um, we've been spending a lot of time in Matthew. Uh, There's a lot more figurative language and explanations of parables and teachings and things in in Matthew, which is great. There's a lot to work through and and learn, and that is great. Uh, But Luke, sometimes he just hits you with thesis statements, which is great. Who's Jesus talking to? Some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Parable. It's great. Very direct. I love it. Sets us up really well, I think, uh, to talk through some symptoms of pride, like I said. So, while this is not exhaustive, uh, I, I don't think that I could ever do that. Uh, I do think that we can pull out a list of, of really common symptoms. Uh, from this passage that, that I think show up really consistently in people's lives when they struggle with pride. And I, I want to be very clear uh, as I go through these, they, they may not seem like completely separate or distinct or, or very isolated symptoms uh, because there is a lot of overlap. They bleed into each other a lot. So they're all, like I said, symptoms of the same underlying thing. So there's going to be some overlap in these, in these symptoms. Um, so you might identify with, with a few of these. You might identify with a lot of these. But I'll say if if you feel like you can't identify with any of these, that's a pretty good indication that you do indeed struggle with pride. Right? So here we go. First symptom of pride that we can see in this is comparison. Comparison is our first symptom. Look at verse 11. It's very, very clear. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Right? He, has, he has no interest at all in talking about any aspect of himself other than all the ways that he feels like he's better than someone. Right? That's the only time he wants to talk about him is when he can compare himself to someone other and come out on top. In the parable, the Pharisee is praying, he's praying to God about how terrible he thinks other people are. Now, we may not do it that way. Uh, you may not regularly in your daily prayer be, be talking about how much better you are than everyone. Um, I think our more common modern equivalent is something I would call gossip, right? Uh, so when we talk to other people about how terrible we think someone else is, instead of talking to God, because that feels weird, right? Don't talk to God about it, because then I have to feel bad about it, right? Or sometimes we like to call it venting when we want to make sure it's real good, right? Uh, This can come up in all sorts of ways, though. Uh, The most obvious, I think, is how it happens in the parable. We say things like, oh, I would never, right? When we talk about somebody else, I I cannot believe that someone would do that. I would never make that mistake, I would never say that to someone. I would never treat my spouse that way, Never. I would never let my kids act like that. I would never be that irresponsible with my money. I can't believe that somebody would vote for a Democrat. I can't believe someone would vote for a Republican. Right? I can't believe that someone would just continuously struggle with gossip. <laughs> yeah, it's sneaky. I'm so glad that I'm not like other people. Mm. See, with comparison, we are, we are much quicker to point out the flaws in others than we are to bring up our own. Right? This is the tendency that we have to highlight things in other people specifically to help make us look better. Right? And so I think another really closely related symptom to that uh, is, is fault finding. Fault finding is another... Really, really clear symptoms. So we reduce other people just to the sum of their shortcomings. Whatever we think they are bad at, that's who they are, right? We're really quick to point fingers. We're really quick to try to catch somebody in the act, right? We're just looking for those gotcha opportunities, right? We see somebody succeed, and we're like, well, yeah, but what about that other thing that they're terrible at, (laughs) right? Sure, they manage to do something good, but let's be honest, they're Pretty annoying in general, right? We're, we're quick to point fingers at the things about their lives that we just don't think that, that much of, right? Look back at how the Pharisee highlights these really specific things that he thinks are just awful. First, he thanks God that he's not like other people, and then he's like, you know what? Let me get more specific. Uh, extortioners, unjust people, adulterers, or that tax collector, Right? Look at all these horrible people doing horrible things around me. Gross, right? He's just scanning the crowd, and he's just trying to find something with someone that he can just tear down. Right? This, is, this is the tendency, like I said at the beginning, when you hear a sermon or, or if we read a passage of Scripture, we see a particularly convicting quote on social media, and immediately think of all the people that we would just love to send that to. Right? Oh, they're so bad at that. I want to send them this. But you don't. You just think about how good it would be if you did. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Uh, this is a confession to you, all of you. But, but we also, in those situations, have a tendency to like really speed around the turn when we look at our own life and how it should apply. Like, it probably could, but I'd rather not think about it, um, which is, it's like this general posture towards people when we have pride. And, and it also leads to the next symptom, I think, or, or it's very closely connected, like I said, and it's contempt, contempt for others. So contempt, the dictionary definition of contempt uh, is the feeling that a person is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. That is intense language, uh, but that is exactly what the Pharisee is doing in this parable, right? He has contempt for all these people. It's also the whole intended audience, as Luke so bluntly pointed out in the first sentence. Um, this one, unfortunately, really jumped out to me uh, in my own life at times. Um, but this is a safe place, so I'll, I'll share it with you. So contempt often comes out in uh, like categorical statements about people, so it's like I can't stand people who blank, or people who do, blank. So like we're re- we're reducing people to just one specific thing that we dislike, and that is their identity. It's like it's a prejudice towards people, honestly. And I I vividly remember, um, I was in college the first time I started leading a life group. Uh, I said to someone in my group out loud, I said these words. I don't know what I would do if a fraternity guy joined our group. In my head, I was like, there is no possible way that someone who is associated with Greek life could ever be in my group. I wouldn't have it, right? I was convinced I was so much better than anyone who might be in that category that I was totally unwilling to even consider that they could be a person that I could be friends with or brothers to. I had contempt for people. And in reality, in that situation, what I was doing, I was just comparing myself to someone that I already thought very little of. I did. I, I was thinking of myself as the pinnacle of existence. I convinced myself the only comparison in life worth making was between me and other people i already decided i didn't like. Instead of comparing myself to Jesus. Right? So what i was actually saying in that moment without saying it out loud was oh, the gap between me and someone like that is so much bigger than the gap between me and Jesus. What a bold and wildly foolish idea. Right? But i was so convinced and that's just one glaringly obvious example from my own life. That's something that I have had to repent of, that I have been confronted on. Fortunately, there are people in my life that uh, made it very clear that that was, that was a horrible thing to say and think. And also that my mentality was off, and it's something that I had to repent of. And just this idea of something that I have to constantly check myself on, something I've had to explicitly ask other people, hey, if you see me doing this, call me out on it, please. I am blind to this sometimes when it happens, right? I have to have other people helping me look out for that and helping hold me accountable because, like I said, the nature of pride is, is blinding, right? We can't repent of something that we are not able or at least are not willing to see. But we do this all the time in other, in other areas, right? You, you hear things like, oh, God, all those obnoxious, woke liberals, or, oh, these terrible religious fundamentalists. Right? This, this bitterness just drips from our words. This contempt is just saturating the things that we say. We reduce people to this, these categories that, that we just would rather not be around. The, the, the bitterness and the contempt that comes from our pride also shows no allegiance to any particular group right? Everyone does this. It runs rampant through us. All right, we're going to keep chugging. I know that these are a lot, and I'm throwing a lot of intense symptoms at you, but uh, we'll keep rolling. Um, we're going to look at verse 12. Verse 12, the Pharisee starts listing things out. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, right? The Pharisee just comes right out with the next symptom. It's self-righteousness, Right, self-righteousness. I said at the beginning, it's very similar to pride as a whole, but it can come out more subtly. Right, the Pharisees like check out my spiritual resume. Look at all the stuff that I do. So great. Right, pride causes us have to causes us to have this mindset of like I'm killing it up here. Right? I'm doing great. It it causes us to to have these thoughts that take root underneath everything we do that says. Man, people are so fortunate to have me around. Wow, I am a blessing. <laughs> Everyone can learn so much from me. All right, this, this often comes out in self-centeredness, uh, in conversations with other people, in the way that we go through life, right? When the quickest things to come out of our mouth are, are the things that we have accomplished or the things that we feel like we're really, really good at. Or Or maybe, when you're having a conversation with somebody and you just you just can't help but turn that topic back to you, right? You know, but what about me? Remember how good I am at this? Let's talk about that more. Um, I think this also shows up sometimes uh, in, in a little bit of a different way in, in the way that we uh, we think about an elevated value of our own time or our own resources. so we we think. Uh, we think things are either more or less worth our time uh, depending on how much it benefits us. Like, how much can I bring this back to me, right? When when we think things like, oh, it's really not worth my time to spend it with that guy, right? I don't really want to hang out with him. It's not super worth it, right? Life group's not really worth my time, right? People just kind of like sit around and talk, right? No one ever listens to me or follows up with me how I want them to, so it's not really worth it. Or, or when we think things like, I'm not going to give my money to that person, right? They don't, they don't deserve it. They wouldn't do that for me. I'm also not going to get anything out of it. Like, it keeps pointing it back to me, to me. And, and also what ends up happening a lot of time with, uh, is, is people who, who struggle with pride or who live with pride tend to feel really offended uh, at the very thought that they may need to learn something from other people instead of the other way around, right? There's a lot of defensiveness, a lot of resistance when there's an area of growth brought to their attention. And it, it often ends up going right back to all those other symptoms that we just talked about, right? I need to be more generous. Well, you have way more money than I do. What are you doing with it, right? That's, that's comparison. Or, well, you know what? You bought a house that's too big for you, uh, and that was a huge waste of money, it's fault-finding, right? Uh, you know what? People with as much money as you uh, just don't ever think about other people. So you're the problem here, right? It's contempt for other people. Uh, as much as I hate doing it, I'm going to continue using myself as an example. <laughs> uh, hopefully some of these resonate with you, so I'm not the only one who's feeling convicted today. Um, but if I am, that's fine, I guess. We see a lot of these things uh, in, in the way that the Pharisee in this passage is, is highlighting how great he thinks he is. Right? He's highlighting how great he thinks he is in the hopes that everyone else will see and acknowledge his greatness too. Right? So pride creates uh, the, the next symptom. Pride creates a desperation for attention. A desperation for attention. We often attribute this uh, to extroverted people, right? We're like, oh, extroverts just want to be the center of attention, right? Uh, but that's one way that it can really sneak in. Uh, as surprising as it is to some people, or some people are at least surprised by this. Maybe, maybe you aren't. But I am, I am quite the introvert, like pretty extreme. Um, so I often don't want to be the center of attention. Uh, but I also struggle with pride. So I love being the center of attention, when it's on my terms, right? When it's like, I'm ready for some attention now, please. Uh, so let me explain. I, I feel the need often uh, that if I have the opportunity to impress people, I'm going to work incredibly hard to make sure whatever that impressive thing is brought up. right? When, when people, like it's terrible. This is going to sound like a joke. These are real things. Uh, so, like, when people talk about things, they're like, oh, the Smoky Mountains, are so, they're so pretty, right? They're beautiful. They're, look at how majestic they are. I have to, like, willfully fight the urge to be like, you know what else is pretty? The Himalayas, you know, that I saw every day when I was growing up. Oh, I have to tell you, right? Mount leconte's nice and all, but have you heard of this place called Mount Everest? Like, these are real things that happen inside of me right? People are like, wow, it's really crowded here. And I'm like, you know what else was crowded? South Africa during the World Cup. Oh, I was there. Like, I have to tell people. <laughs> it, it's like, it's pretty crowded there, too. It's kind of crowded here, but, you know, it was really crowded there. Like, I always, I feel this need. I have to one-up people, right? It's, it, we're drawing attention to something. It's like, oh, I could get all of this attention right now. And we, we try to pull it back on ourselves. I say we, I. I feel like I I need that affirmation from the people around me. I need that attention from people around me. I I have to make my life seem more impressive by giving them a, a quick highlight reel so that they can look at me and be like, wow, look how look how important he is. Look how significant he is. Right? This this can also come out in a lot more harmful ways too in my life. I love making people laugh like I just did. I appreciate you guys laughing. <laughs> I love it, right? It's not a bad desire in general, but I do love it to the point where sometimes I will do whatever it takes to get that response, right? Even if it is at someone else's expense, right? In, in my heart, I know, I know that it is not good to, to put someone down or make fun of someone or criticize somebody. I know that, But also, in the back of my head, I think, if I could crush one person's soul and make 10 other people in the room laugh, that's worth it, right? My gut response is like, that is totally worth it. The attention that I'm getting is worth the cost to me because I feel like I deserve that positive affirmation more than that person deserves to be treated with respect, that's terrible. <laughs> but that is, that's like so deeply ingrained in myself. That I have this desperation for attention. Right? And, and prideful people tend to not have a desire, like I said, to learn from others, to, to, to get things from other people that may help them. They don't have a longing for wisdom. They don't feel a need to seek people out, to, to, to find people who could instruct them and teach them and train them up and push you to grow. Right? There's this feeling at the end of the day for the prideful person that you don't really need anybody. Right? It's, it's everyone else around you that's better off because you're here. Or maybe they're worse off because you're not there. You don't need them. You don't need them to, to speak into your life. And the list of symptoms could go on and on. Uh, Hopefully, some of these have been, have been helpful for you uh, to at least begin thinking about where pride might be lurking in your life or might be hiding in your life. At the very least, I hope that it helps start you on the process of searching for it. It's not comfortable. I'll be, I'll be totally honest. I don't love saying uh, all these things that I feel like I do really poorly, but, but, it, is, but it is worth it. Right, and I don't want us to just stop at acknowledging its existence. Right, that is not the goal. The goal is not just be like, yep, yeah, it's there. But that's the nature of pride too, right? Because at the end of the day, like, why change anything? What what damage is it really doing? Honestly, my life feels pretty good. In in fact, my pride tells me well, I'm actually pretty fantastic especially compared to everybody else. But pride has a much larger impact on us too, right? I think it's really important, uh, before we move on to, to acknowledge, pride doesn't always come out as elevating yourself positively, right? Remember, pride is considering yourself to be separate from everyone else, beyond everyone else. Right, which often comes out in presenting ourselves as better than everyone or better than some specific people, but it can just as easily present itself the other way as, as self-deprecation too. Right, It doesn't have to be like, oh, I am way too good for this. Right? It can also be like, I am too bad for this. I am too far gone. Woe is me. I am beyond saving. Right? It's this thought that we are are too much for God, or or we're unlovable, right, because pride in, in and of itself is a posture of considering ourselves to be just out of reach, right, just out of reach for others, or just out of reach for God, right, because we're either too good or we're too bad, but we're just out of reach. Um, I, I didn't want to get all the way through without at least bringing this up uh, because it can be really easy to think that we don't struggle with pride because we think very poorly of ourselves. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis put it really, really well he, in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Right? And that's really, really important to remember. Before we move on, um, so I said at the very beginning in the definition of pride, uh, I think one of the most dangerous results of pride is, is ending up in a place of self sufficiency or ending up in a place where we feel self sufficient. Right? The prideful person thinks they're doing all right. Sure, I'm not perfect, I'm decent. Right? I'm not a serial killer, I'm not a thief, I'm not a bad parent. I'm a good person, right? At least I'm not like other people. And and it's the sense of self-sufficiency that completely kills our capacity for joy, right? Pride kills your capacity for gratitude and joy. What is there to be grateful for other than me, right? When, When pride takes root deeply inside of us, nothing is a gift, Nothing could be a gift. Nothing is a blessing, right? In order for something to be a gift, you need to not deserve it, right? That category does not exist for the prideful person. I deserve everything I have, right? Because in their mind, I worked hard, right? I I am good at this. I am killing it. Obviously, all the good things I have, I earned that's not gratitude, right? There can't be any gratitude there. That's just entitlement. Right? In, in the passage from Luke today, the Pharisee is, is talking to God. He's singing his own praises. Thank you, God, that I'm so fantastic. Right? There's no, there is no joy to be found in that. But look at the end of the passage, verses 13 and 14. He says, The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the tax collector is painfully aware of his need for something outside of himself, for anything outside of himself. There was no doubt in his mind that he had not earned any favor. No doubt in his mind. In fact, he is so caught up in his need for God. He's so caught up in his need for grace and mercy and all the ways that he has fallen short, he doesn't even notice the Pharisee across the room blasting him. Right? The Pharisee is right there next to him saying, thank God I'm not like him. But the tax collector is so consumed with his need for God that he can't even hear the Pharisee doing that. He's so consumed with his need for a Savior that he can't even be bothered to listen to the Pharisee. So which of these two people do you think understands the gospel of Jesus as good news? Pride causes us to think that we don't really have all that much that we need saving from. Think think of it this way. Um, So I recently turned 30. I participated in sports far too intensely when I was younger. Uh, So I'm becoming quite familiar with this idea of just like aches and pains all the time. Uh, Just like dull aches, right? My shoulder kind of bothers me. My hip kind of hurts. My knee is a twinge. It's just part of life though, Right? I still get around, it's fine, me and Advil have a great relationship, but let's say that I go to the doctor tomorrow, and he's like, hey, good news, Uh, take this pill one time, just take it one time, Uh, those aches will go away forever. I'd respond pretty well, and be like, oh, that's great, cool. And in three months, when that feeling is totally normal, and I don't have those aches and pains anymore, I'll probably forget the mild inconvenience that it was. Because right? honestly, it's not that bad. It's annoying, but it's fine. But if it went away, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then I would forget. Now, imagine if someone has a terminal illness. Right? They are told with absolute certainty they had three to five years at best to live. Now, imagine they go to the doctor. They go for their scan, their routine checkup on the progress of their illness and the doctor looks them dead in the eye and says, it's gone. Right? You're healed. Go live the rest of your life with the assurance that you've got a long, healthy road ahead. That is not something they will soon forget. Right? Pride causes us to see life and see the world the first way that I described Right, we had a mild inconvenience. Jesus took care of it. Thanks, pal. Moving on. Right? I know Jesus offers forgiveness. It's not like I was his biggest project, though. You know, I'm like a side hustle. Jesus is a side hustle at best. What does forgiveness mean to someone who doesn't feel like they have all that much to be forgiven of? Right? It's cheap. But gospel humility makes us see things the second way. To the person who sees themselves accurately, there is no better news. No better news. To the person who sees the gap between themselves and God as the insurmountable chasm that it is. The person who sees the depth of their sin, their complete and utter inability to do anything about it, to make themselves right before God, that person falls down on their face in reverence. That person weeps with joy and cannot contain their exclamations of praise for someone who would show them that kind of grace. The proud person has nothing to celebrate while the humble person has everything to celebrate. Everything, right? Pride destroys our capacity for gratitude. So I want to wrap things up today just reflecting on Jesus' example and the beauty of the gospel, right? The gospel, like I said, is, is good news. It is beautiful because of how undeserving we are. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. We'll we'll put it on the screen when talking about Jesus. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, In Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we see a command at the beginning of this passage to to value others above ourselves. Right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing just for you or about you or at the expense of others. Why, though? Why would we bother with that? How, how do we even know what that looks like? We, we look to Jesus. That's what this passage tells us. We, we look at Jesus who, who perfectly embodies at the end of this passage from Luke, the last line in, this, in, in the passage that we read, it says, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus fulfills that perfectly. If there was anyone who had any reason, any right to consider themselves above others, it was Jesus. Right? Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was completely perfect. He never made a mistake. Jesus was better than everyone. But like we just read, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He made himself lowly. He considered everyone above himself. He gave up equality with God. He gave up the comforts of heaven. He gave up everything for our sake. The only one who deserves everything instead gave up everything for you, for me. Jesus' humility during his life is something to be marveled at, absolutely. But Jesus' humility in his death is even more indescribably beautiful for us. The fullness of God in all of his glory was willing to humble himself not just to the point of entering the world as a man. He went even, even further than that, to be murdered on a cross for our sake, right? for the sake of those he loves. Jesus was willing to humble himself to that point, to the point of death, to undo the curse that was caused by pride. Right? We are invited to follow in Jesus' footsteps and Jesus' humility out of pride. So I just want to end today uh, with, with a quote from a pastor uh, in New York. His name's Rich Villadis. Um, and, and talking about humility, he said this. He said, "Humility is not just doing a lowly task. Humility is a life committed to the hard task of lowering one's defenses." Right? The most humble people are often the people who are least defensive. And in Jesus, we are invited into a life of lowering our defenses and cultivating humility. We have such a beautiful example in Jesus of, of what it looks like and what it means to humble ourselves. And so what we're going to do in, in just a second is what we do every week. We're going we're to open the tables for communion. Um, and... and we just laid it out so, so clearly what, what this act symbolizes. The, the humility of Jesus as, as he, he left the comforts of heaven. He came to earth. He humbled himself to, to live a human life in a broken world and then humbled himself further to death on a cross. Right? Jesus' humility is, is the example for us to look at, but is also the example for, for how we can follow in his footsteps, what it looks like to lay ourselves down, to lay our pride down. That is what, what Jesus did in, in sacrificing himself on the cross. So when we come to these tables, whether you come by yourself or you come with people around you or you come with your life group, uh, if If you are a follower of Jesus and and you have accepted the reality of his sacrifice for you, that is what we are responding to. And and we are not just responding to him doing that, but our lives should be modeled after him. Our lives should be a response to his humility and looking to his example. So I invite you to to pray with me as we enter a time of worship.